What's up, dive team? Have you ever wondered what it's like to be an underwater welder or commercial diver? If so, you have taken a jump into the right podcast. You're listening to Break Down the Dive, where I, your host, Blake Riddle, share my own personal experiences as a working commercial diver, as well as break down my industry for those interested or intrigued. So with that said, let's splash. All right, welcome to the show, and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Break Down the Dive, and today's episode is going to be on commercial fishing and diving alike. Today, uh, I'd like to introduce um, the new co-host, Dylan Harrell. What's going on, guys? Dylan Harrell here. Dylan Harrell is a commercial diver as well as a commercial fisherman. He has been in Alaska for how long? How long have you been there? Um, it was close to five years, coming out to the end of it. Five years. Five years he was in commercial fishing, and then you got brought into the commercial diving industry by how? What, what were the, the names? Uh, so I was doing fishing for about five years, and uh, the state of Alaska was kind of taking a hit with uh, the natives and whatnot, and they were taking away some of the fishing. And it was kind of taking a toll on a lot of the guys. Um, we're having to trade guys in and out, you know. Work was kind of, it was hitting hard, you know. It just, it was, it was a tough time. We had to rotate guys in and out. Um, we had to put a few boats into the dock and hold them there. And so when we were bringing our boats into dry dock at the end of the season, uh, I was looking over the edge and uh, I was talking to my captain. And I was like, what are those guys doing? He was like, oh, they're putting the blocks in, you know. And I was like, what? The blocks? Like cue blocks. Cause, yeah, because I've never been in uh, dry dock before. Like, I've never yeah. seen it. I've never, like, witnessed it, you know. What was the name of the vessel you were on? I was on the Bering Leader at the time. It's about a hundred and... A uh, hundred and forty foot long liner, so they were they were bringing it in. Long liner for those who don't know, what is long lining? Oh, long lining is uh, so you have about a sixty mile piece of fishing line per se, and and, and it's miles? not sixty miles long, and it's not like your little line you know that you go buy at the store. This is like looks like rope. It looks like rope. It's like three quarter inch rope, and then you have you have little tails on every. Uh, I'm gonna say. I think they're about four or five feet, and you have a hook at the end of it. And you throw all this line in the water with, with anchors and buoys to mark where your line's at, and then we pull it up on a hydraulic reel. And when it comes up, you have... But you're laying out 60 miles of this thing. 60 miles of line, and it takes about six hours to put in the water and about 12 hours to haul up, sometimes 16 hours to haul up. So how long were your treks? Um, the trips varied on how the fishing was, man. Um, it was... I mean, it depends. Sometimes it was 10 days. Sometimes it was 20 days. Sometimes it was a month. You know, it, it all depends on how much fish there are, really. <laughs> I mean, it's it can be a long journey. So it could, if you don't catch a... Because you have like a certain amount that you have to catch while you're out there. Right? Yeah, so that, in mind. that particular vessel we brought in about... Um, I'd say it was about 15,000 cases, I believe. 15,000 cases. 15,000 cases, kind of fish and this was lean cod, and each case was about 50 pounds, and each case holds, holds about um, six to eight fish, typically. So if you do the math on that, that's that's a lot of weight. A lot of weight. That's And you'd have to, once. okay, so run me through the whole system here. So you go out there, you you get on the vessel, you get you bring all your bags, your, to, your tools, like what do you got to bring? Um, obviously if you, you're in Alaska, you, you're in a place where it's freezing cold. Yeah, you, you don't, we don't need to bring tools. All that's on the vessel. We have a chief engineer on board, um, and an assistant engineer. And, uh, those two guys kind of run the operations of mechanical issues. So as far as the deckhands and whatnot and fishing, you want to 
pretty much bring all your rain gear, man. <laughs> there is no like jeans or cotton wear. You want to wear um, that polyester stuff and like really compression compression pants and underwear and, and like long johns and things yeah, like that. all that stuff. Um, you know, extra toughs, bibs. They take you. They take you to a store when you show up. You get a PO in your name, and you pick all your gear up and whatnot. And you... So I got a question. One thing that I noticed while I was working in cold temperatures is wearing steel toes actually adds uh, colder temperatures into your boots because of the fact that steel <laughs> oh, around man. your toes get cold. Yeah. Yeah. So are you guys sure. typically using so, composites? Yeah. Uh, well. No, we wear the extra toughs with with no composite or no steel toe. They do make them with steel toe. They recommend wearing them when we're in the freezer hole. That's about negative forty degrees in there, because if you have cases <laughs> rolling ice around and like 30, 40 foot swells, you know, rolling over your feet, doesn't necessarily feel well. Yeah. But you're risking the fact of getting cold feet. I I never personally never wore those steel toe boots. There's a couple guys that did, but. You and they complain about yeah, cold feet all the time. Your feet are hurting bad, man. Yeah, it's, and it's your rough. shifts are, are twelve hours, huh? No, eighteen hours. Eighteen hours? Yeah, 18, without sleep. Eighteen hour shifts. Uh, you got about. I mean, they give you six hours, but the time you get off shift and you kind of settle down, and you go get some food, take a shower. Sometimes you want to call home if you do. It comes down to about five hours, four and a half hours of sleep a day, typically. Yeah. Wow, that's that's a lot of work for very little sleep, and then but they feed you well. I oh imagine. man, the food's great. We had this guy, Braulio. Braulio, if you're listening to this, man, I'm talking about your food, dude. Uh, <laughs> you miss it or what? Bra- Braulio is a good cook. He he made some good food. Um, he was a good guy. He uh, he was a good uh, baker as well. He made some really good pastries. And this is all on the bearing leader. This was on the bearing leader. Yeah, I've I've worked on uh, Alaskan leader. I've worked on the Northern Leader for a small amount of time. That's like their big money maker per se. If you've ever heard of a company called the Blue North, they had made the longest longliner in history. I don't think they are now. I believe another company kind of warned up them. But you're, you're saying longest liner meaning the, the size the, of the vessel? Yeah, I think theirs was, man, they're uh, probably 500 feet or so. Maybe longer than that, honestly. I couldn't tell you, but so, all right, so big boat, man. You're working on a, a large vessel, right? And you yeah. are, um, you're a fisherman as well as, from what I overheard you talking to me about quite some time ago, is you were also an assistant engineer. Yeah, so I I was a deckhand starting out. Actually, take that back. I didn't start out as a deckhand. I started out as a steward. So coming into Alaska, saving up my money, and, uh, you know, I wanted to, work out on the Bering Sea and be this fisherman, that big money maker, you know, people were talking about. So I get out there and I thought I was going to be a deckhand. And the captain gets to me and he goes, oh, we're going to put you as the steward. And I'm like, what's a steward? Yeah, what is that? Well, you're the cook's right-hand man and you clean up after everybody's shit. And so you basically, do laundry and... bitch work, basically. <laughs> yeah. But... And you got your foot in the door. Yeah, yeah, I got my foot in the door. And at night, when uh, you know, I did my job and I cleaned up what I had. I went out on deck with the deck hands, and that was my time to prove who I was. You know, I would help them set the gear, and I liked it. You know, it was cool. You got line going out the back door, pretty quickly. And you got hooks flying everywhere. You know, going into the water. And if you get hooked, you're getting pulled into the machine and the equipment, and you're asking for a bad time. But it was a adrenaline rush for sure. Seeing that, you know. Um, how fast how out. fast is this line moving um, as, it, as it's going out the back of the boat because it is going out it, the back right yeah it's the boat's traveling at about i think when we're setting gear we're going i think around eight knots 
Eight, okay, what's yeah, that, seven, like 10, eight 10, 12 miles an hour? Yeah, but when you're going down a 30-foot swell and you're going up a 30-foot swell, you know, it can be faster than what it really is. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I didn't and, take that into account. So you're you're yeah. going down down the face of the wave and then hitting the trough of the wave and then yeah. going, climbing back up. So uh-huh. the whole time you're doing this, you're not only trying to actually not get hooked, but you're trying to maintain balance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we have these big set rails with... Are you rigged into anything? Are you tied no, off to nothing? No, you're, that's you're... dangerous. No, you don't want to be rigged off to anything. You so want you're to tied off... You're, or you're just standing in front of just, this line. Just standing there, yeah. And you're, you're baiting? You're just, you're just organizing it because you'll have lines that cross over in the rails. And mm-hmm. if you get a... a a hook that's crossed it'll go out and it'll get caught right yeah and so it'll be kind of like think of it as uh let's see um how would i explain this um think of it as like your anchors in the water on a boat right and you go take off without releasing that anchor off the bottom and you're just going right and the lines get so much tension before it snaps yeah that's pretty much what you're going to have if you get a cross hook going through the baiter it's going to create a lot of tension and the line's going to pull but those typically those snap because they're little hooks they just yeah they're off. weaker than the line yeah but it's dangerous man it, it can be dangerous I've, I've seen people get hooked pretty good was there um, any people that you worked with that had missing fingers or or scars and things that, uh, that have experiences not, they went not through not missing fingers but I've I've seen some pretty good scars on some hands, including myself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been hooked several times. That's just part of the job. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's it's very fun, man. It's it's very fun. So okay, so you're doing doing that in Alaska for five years. Yeah. Right. And you 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 start out as a <coughs> steward, then you get promoted to a deckhand. Yeah. So when I was a steward, I proved my point, and on that second trip, they were gonna put me as steward again. And I was like, you know what? I'm not if, feeling it. I'm gonna go home. This yeah. is, you know, I don't want. I didn't want to be that guy. But all the deckhands were like, "Dude, don't, don't go home, man. Stay. We'll put in a word for you with the captain, whatnot." And so all the deckhands um, gave me 0.2 percent of their share. All six deckhands gave me a point, a, a you know, 0.6 percent of their check, which came out to a few hundred bucks per person. You know. Yeah. So you're you're making a little bit. Just to get me like to stay there and so yeah. the captain saw that and he was like well let's put him on deck so on that second trip i was deckhand which is unheard of for somebody starting out it usually takes a few trips to get to deckhand it takes around you know four to five trips they usually put you in the factory and process fish and whatnot so which i got to, i i, I want to know about that whole process as well but later yeah, later yeah yeah so um setting gear you know that was it was great it was a great eye-opener for me and what a deckhand was so i got put on deck um and then it came time to hauling up the gear, right? My ne- my next trip, I got to see that. So they call it the roller. They have this gaff. It's a hook. It's like a metal staff, like mild steel, and it curves over to a sharp hook. Yeah. And you got a little hand on it, like a little handle, you know, with mm-hmm. some like like a rubber band, like a very thick rubber band. You wrap it around your wrist, so like. Oh, so that in case you drop it, it's like a, a lanyard. Basically. Yeah, basically like that. But also, when you're flicking the hook into the water to catch the fish off the line, it it like, it pulls back to you. It's like a little slingshot, you know. Like yo-yo, hand. kind of like a yo-yo. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So we would go into um, they call it the. Uh, <laughs> Man, what, I'm already forgetting my terminology. It's been so long since I've been out there. Um, yeah, it'll come to you. Oh, man, yeah, it'll come to me. Anyway, so we're out on the roller. You're pulling up line, and you got fish flying over you into the trough. 
coming over and you want to pretty much hit him on the head in between the eyeballs with the hook because if you hit him in the body they call it a number two and you lose your your money basically the fish is trash you, you so, have to you so, can still sell the fish but it's a lot cheaper so say you pull up a fish that was worth thirty dollars right and you hit it in the body now that fish is worth like three bucks oh that's quite a big drop yeah so when you're so up there you have you get, to have good aim with yeah, this thing yeah it, it it takes it's an acquired skill it takes some time and i'm left-handed and the way that boat was set up is right-handed. So you have to lean over and put your right hand over and pull the fish up. So you're having to adapt. So it took me a while to get that. And I've been yelled at a few times from Captain, like, you know, in the head, in the head, not the body. <laughs> yeah, I've been pulled off that thing many times. Is the Captain watching as all this is going down? Oh, yeah, he can see it. He can see he can see. Clear. And he's watching from the bridge. Yes. He's he can, watching he can, from. He can control the line speed. He can control, you know, everything. Yeah, he can, can. He can. He has a red button to all stop if something were to happen. He can stop that line immediately. So he's looking. He has to constantly keep an eye on you. It's it's. A, That's a very big responsibility very as a captain. Big, it's not just driving the boat, but you've got guys. And you also, when you're in thirty foot forty seas, have you ever heard of a rogue wave? Yeah, I mean, I've heard of what they are. It's so, basically a tsunami, but comes out comes out of nowhere. Yeah, so it's like an unpredictable. So say your waves are coming from bow to stern, right? You're going into them. Yeah. A rogue wave can hit you from port or starboard just like that. Like a big wave. Like out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And those rogue waves, if they're coming in, and that's the name of where we are, it's called the pit. They call it the pit is where the, where the guys stand. Yeah. Oh, where you're working at. Yeah. So, and you have two guys out there. One guy on a dip net that's catching the fish that you may have missed that fall in the water, and you got about four seconds to grab that thing before it floats off and swims in the water. Because when they come out, they're like, they're like shell-shocked, you know? They're just kind of stiff for a little bit. Yeah. And then they realize they're not hooked anymore, and they swim off. So you have like a few seconds to grab that guy and pull it into the pit. So um, so that was an interesting thing, being on the dip net as well, <laughs> where your hands get frozen to this pole pretty much. Because <laughs> you're, you're holding it for 18 hours. Well, we, we rotate guys. When it comes to pit work, you rotate guys. It depends on how well they do. You know, you usually do three-hour, four-hour rotations, and then you go back inside and you do gear. You clean up the gear that is being brought in, like the hooks that get knocked off. You put new yeah, hooks on. This is this is back breaking work. Yeah, it's it's very intense, man. So that makes sense that you would go into commercial diving shortly after and kind of adapt very quickly because you're familiar with how working hard. Yeah, is. I mean, being on the water is great, and and like I said before, when we were in dry dock, I saw the divers go in, you know, putting the keel blocks on, and oh, were I they went, hard hat? And yeah, they were hard hat divers. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and I, I saw that, and I was like, man, I want to get into that. And so I was doing some research, and I went to a school in Jacksonville, Florida called CDA. That's where I went, yeah. Oh, yeah, nice. Um, yeah, so I, I started diving and uh, picked up a job over in Long Beach and was working for them for a while and doing some ship husbandry work and, you know, getting familiar with how things roll, you know. Yeah. Um, hey, let's take a little quick break real quick, and just uh, we're going to state that this show is sponsored by Hanging Let Apparel. Beneath the Swell is where we dwell. Make sure to go on it, uh, Instagram and follow them. The Instagram tag is hanging underscore lead. Um, keep an eye out for awesome uh, content that's always being posted. And um, yeah, we're always posting commercial diving uh, as well as fishing and surfing photos. And anybody that's interested in getting their photos or videos posted... Uh, go ahead and DM them to the account, and we'll make sure to get them up there. All right, so moving forward, 
you were saying that uh, you were working for a company in Long Beach. Yeah, I was working. Which is where in Long I met Beach. you. Yeah, that's where you met me. Yep, um, we were working out there. Um, you know, uh, got kind of tired of uh, working there, so I took off, and I guess you can say I'm kind of a freelance diver now. I'm kind of going where work is at. You know. Yep. Um, you know. Trying to better myself, and yeah. uh, I mean, you are in the process of getting your captain's license as well. Yeah, I'm. I'm working towards a hundred ton right now, so that's that's my goal. I want to get that. Yeah, uh, and I think there's some good. It opens up a lot of doors, yeah. especially yeah, being as connected as uh, we are in the port of Long Beach and the port of LA. Uh, really, absolutely. Uh, you know, who knows? You could get get you on a commercial fishing vessel vessel here in the port, or even driving tugboats maybe later in the future. Who knows? Yeah, maybe even be a pilot. <laughs> or yeah, a Long Beach pilot. Those guys got it made, don't they? <laughs> yeah. They don't have to lift a finger. No. <laughs> Those guys probably do pretty well. Yeah. Um, so um, back to the fishing, real quick. I know we're getting more into the diving, but I'm curious. You were talking about the. Um, what what because you're talking about loading the fish into the processing processing so these so these ships the fish, are a, these the, ships are a processing plant yeah we we catch and process so we we bring them on board right and then they get to the bleeder station so we got a guy up there with a knife and he pretty much grabs the fish slices its throat gets all the blood out right and it goes onto a scale which is a scale that is constantly monitored by federal and they want to make sure that the weight of each fish going through is okay. You know what I mean? Well, that's unfortunate. That means that the fish is being killed before it's even weighed? Yeah, it's being killed before it's weighed. Um, you got you to gotta take the blood out. You don't want to give somebody bloody fish. Well, and, and it would make more sense if they were to weigh it before they kill it, right? Um, no, you, you got to bleed it out. Um, why, why is that? Honestly, I don't really know why. I because it seems to me like if they were to have a fish that was alive and that wasn't up to scale, then all they would do is just throw it back in the ocean. As yeah, that's throwing true. A dead but fish in the ocean, yeah. Typically, you, I mean, I've never seen a fish undersize, like ever. So I think they it's have rare. That, yeah, I think that, they have that system down. That's that's strange because I'd be it, curious to know that like, you know, how many fish if they because say a fish is not up to scale, maybe in the next couple of years it would be. So why not throw it back in the ocean, right? Yeah, Up until I mean, it gets there. I mean, you're right, but I I think the more majority of it is is the quota. So you basically buy you buy quota through the state of Alaska, right? And you get a quota for this is my quota for this many pounds of fish. And if you go over that quota and they see, oh, why'd you catch this many pounds? You know, um, it's illegal. So that's why they're monitoring that weight as well. Um, so. So there is there is a due process. Yeah. That is in place to make sure that ships are following certain guidelines. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you get a pretty big fine if you go over that. Yeah. You get in trouble for sure. And the captain as well? Um, I don't know. Not, I would not, imagine so. Not specifically you. I would imagine so. Or is it more so the company? I would imagine it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I would think so. Um, Which that, I, that I, don't, I haven't really talked much about the logistics of that with the company or the yeah. captains because I didn't really... Yeah, of course. But, that, I mean, that would add a lot that, more responsibility but... to the captain right there yeah. to have to make sure that he's not crossing over the, that quota or even catching fish that don't belong. Absolutely. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you're right. And after they after they get weighed, we, we get put in these tanks. We, <laughs> the fish, <laughs> the fish get put in these tanks filled with water and we flush them out, right? We clean them out. Fresh water? Yes, and they they get put in that for, um, I don't know, whenever you feel is right, really. 
probably 30 minutes or so, okay. an hour sometimes. And then they go, they get out of that tank and they get put up called the header. And it's this machine, it's like, think of like a table saw, per se, but mm. like at an angle to where when, the, when it cuts the fish head, it's at a perfect, like you get like a V, a V shape to the head. Right behind the gills. So you get as much meat out of the fish as possible. Yeah. So it cuts the head off clean on a V. It's pretty cool, actually. So those fish get out over to the gut table, and now you got guys at the gut table that are putting their hands inside of these fish and pulling all the guts out. And those guts can either go, you either got stomachs, you you uh, do stomachs, you do liver, you do the sperm, you do it all separately, and you sell those to like Korea and whatnot. All the weird they, countries. Yeah, they eat all that for soup. I don't know, they're weirdos. Yeah. But, and then sometimes if, if we have the equipment, we can take all the guts and put it into a grinder and make dog food out of it, and we sell it make dog food so you're utilizing every single every portion. single part of the fish yeah well at least that's being that's yeah, that's cool to hear except for their little hearts you know sometimes they get to the gut table and their heart's still beating and you're like oh that poor guy <laughs> oh, that's, that's brutal that is brutal you can see it trying to pump <laughs> <laughs> shit man i love fish <laughs> yeah um they're great so once they're gutted um they get to the sorting table and uh, those are the guys that sort the fish base off of size. That reminds me of Surf's Up. Surf's Up? What do you mean? Have you ever seen the movie Surf's Up with the penguins? It's been a while, man. Well, he's like little Cody Maverick. He's like a <laughs> little, little penguin who uh, grew up in, in Antarctica, wants to be a, a surfer, and then like Big Z shows up on the island, and they have like all these, all the penguins are like sorting fish. And he's like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. He's <laughs> like, just a bunch of like penguins sorting fish into piles. You never saw that? No, uh, you have to watch it. It's great. That. If you know what I'm talking about, it's a funny, funny movie. In fact, it's actually my all-time favorite animated film for the fact that they're surfing in it. And that one scene, there's many, many funny scenes in it. But yeah. So they sort the fish um, based off of size, you know, because mm-hmm. that's where you're going to make your money. Um, and then they get thrown into the uh, these uh, ammonia freezers and there's there's these aluminum casings right and the tops are open and the fish are inside and they go inside of this aluminum casing it's like a big table per se uh-huh. and there's like I don't know how many shelves there's probably 15 shelves and each shelf holds about 10 15 cases I'd say and they get pressed down very like all the plates are compressed touching the top and bottom of each box uh-huh. and the ammonia goes through there and it freezes the fish. And it freezes them in like an hour and a half, I think. Ooh, okay. I'd say so. Yeah, so to be able to keep the freshness of it. Yeah, and so we pull them out of the ammonia freezer. In, in this industry, time is of the essence, it seems. Time is of the essence, yes, for sure. Because every, you can get backed aspect. up. If you have fish coming in like hot, freaking hotcakes, you know, they're, they're coming in like left and right. Yeah. And then you go back to the freezer. And you're like, hey, we have no room to freeze fish. We gotta, we gotta stop. We gotta stop or slow it down. Slow down the line, you know, because it's all goes to the same place. You know, yeah. you can't just get backed up. And if you get backed up, you gotta, you gotta cut the line. You gotta haul back, and you gotta stand by for a couple hours. And just wait for things to get. No, you're not out. waiting those couple hours. You're processing all the fish you were backed up. <laughs> so you get all the deckhands in the factory. I mean, everyone's working, dude. There's no, there's no hanging out. There is no, there's not a single time to hang out. Have you ever been laying in your bunk? And all of a sudden, there's a big knock on the door, and they come rushing in going, we need you on deck, we need you on deck, let's go. Yep, absolutely. Uh, many times. Yeah. The one time... So like you're getting, the one, the one, they're cutting into your sleeping. Yeah, the one time they actually did wake me up, which was for an emergency, we had an ammonia leak. So one of these freezers busted, one of the pipes busted, and 
there's only so many places you can go on a 130 foot vessel and the ammonia flooded pretty much the entire boat like i remember waking up and the chief came in and was like you guys need to get up get out of here and i remember coming out of my bunk and i was just like like i couldn't even breathe it was that bad he had a gas mask on this is a straight emergency situation yeah i was like what is going on no so yeah we uh I go down and I'm running. I'm, so I'm like if, if they disoriented, you know, because I'm so tired. If they didn't woke you, if they didn't wake you up, that would have been the longest sleep of your life at that point. Longest sleep of my life. I would still be sleeping right now. Yeah. So we're all in there, and I'm like, everyone's disoriented because we're like just got to where you're getting that deep sleep, you know. Yeah. Waking up and I'm like, what's going on, you know? And I can't breathe, and I go down in the galley, and it's even worse down there. And because uh, it sinks, ammonia sinks. Yeah, to the lowest point. Yeah, and so and then it fills up from there. So I was in the galley, and then the freaking cooks back there, like putting his shit together. I'm like, "What are you doing?" This old guy Steve, he's like, "Ah, oh, that ammonia doesn't bother me." <laughs> I'm like, "Dude, you're crazy." Just some salty. Get fuck. out of here! Yeah. So we pulled him out, and we we went up into the um, up in the house where the captain's quarters are, because in there they have a very high quality filtration system, air filtration system. I think they have them on cruise ships as well and like some quarters if, if something were to happen like that. That makes sense. So it's very clean air and we were able to breathe in there. But as soon as you open that door and you leave that area, it is death. It is terrible. Yeah. So we were in there for probably four or five hours, I'd say, until they um, sealed the leak up. And then even then it was lingering around for the rest of the day for, I don't know, 10 hours or so. So you guys just had to kind of wait. There's really yeah, not much you can do at that point. Yeah, we can do. And then in the freezer hold where all the fish were, we were losing our temperature because we were losing that ammonia. So, And we were on like probably 9,000 cases at that point. So we are about halfway home, you know. We are on, on that, yeah. And if you lose them, it's back to square one. Yeah, man, that's it. So we were able to refreeze, and we, we chief engineer did a good job. He, he did a great job. He, he, he got that figured out, and we... Got back to working. Wow, so he saved the job. He saved the job, man. Those guys, yeah, there's a lot of work on, on a chief engineer. There's a lot of, as far as a fishing vessel, there's a lot of pressure. You know, if things go wrong, it's on him. Where were you at that point in your career while you were working there? Were you uh, still a deckhand or at I that was, point were you I was a deckhand. Cruising into assistant engineer. Um, so at, at actually at this point, I previously was an assistant engineer. Um, I thought I had quit fishing. And I came back, and so I came back on as a deckhand, and and then I went back to an assistant engineer. When you when you go out there and fish, and you're out on the water, and, uh, you know a lot of the old timers told me you got to be careful out here unless you want this to be your life, because the Bering Sea can get a hold of you is what how they call it. And once you're out there long enough, there. No, will you become a guy that just doesn't give a fuck about it's ammonia? Your, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure, it's your home, man. You go home, like I would go home and be home for like a week. After working all those hours, you know, you're doing like 170 plus hours a week, you know, for months at a time. And I would go home for a week and I'd want to go back. I gotta go back. You know, I need it. And yeah. I'll go back. It's the routine, huh? Yeah. And so I I got out of it for a little bit and then I went back on as a deckhand and that, and that's when that ammonia happened. And then. Were you, have you, did you graduate dive school at that point or were you not No, quite? no, no. This was about a year before that, I'd okay. say. Um, yeah, and when that ammonia leak happened, I remember because the chief and the assistant at the time, he was a newer assistant, they were having troubles dialing that ammonia system in, and it was kind of hard for them to do, and so I took the time to pay um, the money to go to ammonia school in Kansas City on my own time, 
and I came back and I dialed in that refrigeration system pretty good, um, and I learned a lot. I mean, I learned a lot about refrigeration, man. That those those ammonia systems are no joke. That's I mean, that'll when make or break your trip. Well, yeah. Not only that, you're dealing with a legitimate danger if something fails, and Absolutely. You, I, you, now you kind of know like what to expect when things fail, and then how to how to approach the problem. Absolutely. I mean, and when you're out 200 miles offshore and you have sump pumps fail and you're starting to take on water. You're on, you're on the where the deckhands work and you got water coming up to your ankles and you're like, what's uh, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and you're in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, like you're far out there and you're in thirty foot seas, man. And, and how, what was the water temp? Uh, in the below freezing. The ocean. Yeah, it was. I the mean, ocean, not like I'm not talking about the water inside the the tanks for the fresh what fresh water rinse on the fish. I'm talking about the water that you're working in, out on the pit in the pit. Oh, that like the the ocean coming over, like yeah. The water coming in, yeah. I mean, it was. I don't know, man. It was cold, thirties easily. And with wind and and yeah, you everything. get freezing rain when it when it rains. As soon as it hits you, it's an icicle. I mean, you go out on deck. You're if you're on deck for more than two hours, your face is an iceberg. Like if you have <laughs> facial hair, yeah, yeah. Forget about it. It's icicles all over you, like no doubt. <laughs> you're wearing a face mask, an ice mask. Yeah. Oh yeah, it'll stick to your face. Your your PFD. You gotta when you come inside, you have to have guys pour scalding hot coffee on your hands and your life jack just to take it off, unzip it, you know. And it's your hands are so cold, you like scalding hot coffee or hot water. You don't even feel it. Your nerves are just it's dead just, yeah, for just, yeah. uh, for a short time. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap, man. Yeah, but uh, it it's it's intense, man. And then once you're all you're done with all that, you're done with your trip. You do cleanup, so you have the factory. They go to bed. And the deck. You have a first crew of deckhands stay up, pressure wash the whole gear alley, all the thing. You know, you make it clean, spotless to the finger touch. You know, captain yeah. comes down and checks it because a clean boat is a happy boat. You know. Yep. And you got to have it perfectly clean every trip. Well, when you're working as efficiently, and or you have to work this efficiently to make sure that your products are being accounted for and and prepped correctly then you obviously have to work in clean conditions at all times yeah like whether it's in the pit or in the processing plant or mm-hmm. even if it's just in the in the, the galley yeah absolutely and in the factory because of all the fish blood flying around everywhere we put up plastic on the walls we like tie it up you know and everywhere and at the end of every and it takes a, kind of a long time to do that and at the end of every trip we take all that plastic down and put new plastic plastic up each trip but it takes some time it takes about you know 20 hours total of cleaning that whole area and then you have about a day of sleep because it takes two days to get in so one full day of cleaning and one full day of just resting and you can kind of just hang out watch movies do what you want read books or whatever and then once you uh get into the uh dock it's go time you get an offload so uh, wait you guys are personally having to do the offload of your yeah, own products yeah we have a crane on board so they don't have a team of guys standing on the dock waiting for you no 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 they do that <laughs> for crab fishing but speaking of crab fishing long you, lining you know uh i know you talked about the time bandit and <laughs> and what's the captain's name Is good old andy andy yeah so how, andy, how, do, you, how andy do you know andy the from bandit. the time bandit who is the captain of the vessel that was on deadliest catch that was andy yeah, so how do you how did you come in contact with him? Um, so when we were out of the docks, um, well, I saw him first of all at Dutch Harbor Airport. I remember sitting down, and there's this old Vietnamese cafe that I had every time before I went home and got some nice pho and whatever else they had. 
So I'm sitting down there drinking a beer, and I was like, that is, that's Andy, dude. That's the guy. That's the guy I want to talk to. <laughs> so I sat down next to him and had a beer with him and just kind of small talk, you know, and he was just a little tired, but. He well, he's was... probably just coming back from the same thing you just came back from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, their seasons are a little shorter, but ours are ours can go year-round if you have the quota. You know, there's no stopping for long lining usually, yeah. but in the summertime it's slower. Anyways, I saw him and connected with him and uh, got so you, out. So you sat down with him? Yeah, I had some drinks with him. And, uh, Woo, that's pretty cool. Yeah, got yeah. out. Yeah, dude, he's a cool guy. He's he's pretty humble. He's he's a humble guy. Um, pretty much everything you see on Deadliest Catch about the show of how Andy is, he's that's how he is in real life, man. He's a cool guy. Um, don't get on his bad side. <laughs> well, you don't want to get on any captain's bad side for that matter. <laughs> no, if the captain's mad, dude, oh, everybody's upset. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You don't want to be near him. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I spoke with him and got out on the Time Bandit um, out of Dutch Harbor, um, checked that out a bit. And crabbing is, it's a lot, like, as far as overall time, it's a lot less, but you're running on no sleep. You're doing three-day shifts when it comes to crabbing. You know, two, three days, and you're going back in. Two, three days, you're going back in. And when you get to the dock, you have guys do that for you. But... I personally think longlining is harder. I know all you commercial fishermen out there are probably thinking that our crabbers are crabbers. Uh, I know it's not, but I don't know, man. I think, I think longlining is harder, dude. I really do. Um, so if you put a, a crabber and a longliner in, in, in the Coliseum, who, who would win? Oh, man. <laughs> who would win? Oh, uh, the crabbers got bigger forearms. I don't know. <laughs> But you're good know, with a hook. You're good yeah. with a hook. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's a tough call. I think over the long range, the long liner's going to win. i got to say it. <laughs> you got to say it. He gotta said say it. it. <laughs> Let it be known. He said it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so you get in and you get offload. So you're about a mile out, and that's when you're you're getting all the trash ready. You bring it all in deck. You get the crane ready. You rig everything up. You get the freezer hold ready, take the hatch off. I mean, you get everything ready. So when we get there, that crane is dropping into the hatch. Immediately, the second the lines are on the Well, mo- I'm sorry. You have to take off the first layer of fish before the crane goes in. But you have guys that are working with you on the on the vessel ready to pull the frozen fish out of the hatch because it's like floor level, you know? You yeah. can't just pull a crane out and do that. You have to manually. manhandle all out of that. So and you're, you're you- manually lifting these. What, what are these weigh? 45, 50 pounds. 45 to 50 pounds yeah. of basically a box of fish that's in aluminum crate? No, no, no. So I, I totally skipped that part out. I'm sorry, man. So when they go in the freezer hold, after they freeze them, they get thrown in this really hot water, and it pretty much loosens up that aluminum so you can pop the can out. And you take the fish and you slide it, and the fish is just solid. And yeah. you slide it in this bag. They're like uh, f- that fiber... Um, we call them fiber bags. It's like a weird, strong fiber. Okay. And we put them on. We, we throw them across, and this guy pulls up to the sewing machine, and it's like very automatic and so fast. you have a sewing machine on this fishing <laughs> yeah. vessel. Okay. Yeah, you pull these bags up, and then it goes through the sewing machine, and it sews up this bag automatically. Seals it. And it goes down in the hatch. So we have bags. They're like fiber bags. So they're ba- okay, bags of fish. Yeah. And so, each bag weighs about 45 to 50 pounds. Yeah, typically, yeah. So you pull them out, um, and then once you have enough depth down in the hold... Then you get brailers, and you lay the brailers down, and you put fish in the brailers, and then hook it up to the crane. 
up and over. So a brailer's like a rigging basket? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, you put them in the brailer, and then you fly them up over to the dock, and then you have guys in the factory. They get out like, off the boat, and then they go sort each case by the size and the letters on the containers that they go inside of the dock. So you have guys not only pulling them out of the freezer, and then you have guys on the dock that are sorting them again. So they're doing the same job multiple times from point You're A to point B. You're doing the same job twice. So you have 15,000 cases. You're At the end of the day, you touch 30,000 cases. Holy crap. So you're looking at a total. I mean, it can be, this process can be anywhere. I think my fastest offload ever was 19 hours, which is, dude, that is stupid fast. Usually they're like 27, 30 hours nonstop. There's no stopping. Yeah, it, it sounds a lot like a steel job in the sense of like once it starts, it's not over. It's yeah, not done. Oh, oh, it's not over till it's over. Yeah, you don't stop, man. And then once all the fish is offloaded and you have all that done, now you get to load on your bait. And each container of bait, um, those are, I don't know, 20 pounds or so. But then you got to bring the bait on, and that takes another five to six hours, you know. So the you're looking at a long, a long journey. That's about so from the moment, thirty plus hours, dude. You're you're working nonstop. Yeah. So from the moment you actually step onto the dock in Alaska, you I mean you fly f- from wherever home is, you get there. You, I mean you're loading your equipment. The second you step onto the boat, it's go time from the moment you step off. Absolutely. Until the moment that the fish are offloaded, the the ship and the vessel is cleaned and prepped and ready for the next trek yeah. out out to harbor or yeah, out to sea. You do that for about three months at a time. Four months at a time, if you want. Wow, that's that's quite impressive. So it's it's a long journey, man. I mean, I've there's definitely stories of close calls out there for sure. I've seen a lot of them. Yeah, I hear it's a very dangerous job, but it's not. Is it much? Would you say it's more dangerous than the work that you are now doing as a commercial diver? Um, as far as injury wise, yes. Yeah. Ten times worse. Um, there's a lot of moving parts, you know. You're constantly moving. Just standing up is a workout. Yeah. I mean, versus diving in thirty foot seas. When you're in the water and diving, your body becomes you know you're like a little astronaut. Yeah, astronaut in the ocean. Yeah, you're moving around easily. But shout out to Masked Wolf. That song is is killer. Astronaut in the ocean. (laughs) That is a cool song. But diving has its hard times too, man. You know. Yeah. There's lots of hard times in diving. Every job has its hard part. You know. We had this guy, we were setting gear. So when you set gear, you have you throw your anchor in the water and it drops the line to bottom, right? And it gives you a depth of where you want to fish from. You know, how many anchors do you want to put on? How how often do you want to put them on the line so you can keep your line up to depth? Or do you want your line doing this in the water? By doing this, you mean... In- Cert, you're catching certain fish at certain depths. So like, hey, we're gonna we need more pollock than we need cod. So we're not gonna go as deep. So for those listening, we're talking about a line that has slack in it, allowing the line to drop and rise with the with the tide. Yes. Or with the swell of the sea. Yes. Because if it's tighter, then obviously it's gonna be taut and gonna be going towards the surface at a greater angle. Yes. As opposed to having slack in it and allowing it to drop. Yes. Yeah, so which you'd we... catch different types of fish at different uh, depths of water. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So you know we'll throw out. 150 fathoms of line in the water uh, or 50 fathoms or, you know. Based off of what the captain decides. Yeah, how deep he wants to go. You yeah. Know? And then you throw an anchor off every so miles of gear, you know, with the buoy. 
because you always want to keep track of where your line's at with the buoy. Yeah. Because if you ever have to cut the line, you can find the next point and go to that buoy and collect the line again. That, okay, that makes again. sense. Yeah. So when we set gear, we throw the anchor in the water, and we have two guys on the stern outside up top, outside on the deck. In the like ter- like in a crow's nest kind of thing? Uh, Not really. It's kind of like... Like a flybridge almost? Yeah, it's kind of like a flybridge. You, you can say that. Okay. Yeah. If you have a flybridge and you're looking over and you can see the guys throwing the stuff out the back window. Yeah. Those guys are the ones that are controlled the buoys. Now, those buoys are going out pretty quickly. When you, Once you throw them in the water, those lines are going. You have about 200 feet of line. So don't stand in the eye. Don't stand in the eye. We had this guy that came out of uh, um, the Army. He was in the Army for 15 plus years, I think. I won't say his name. I won't say your name, dude, but he fucked up. <laughs> um, anyways, so he... We threw the buoys in the water. He had his foot in the eye. Mm. Rule number one, you never stick anything of your, any part of your body in an eye of a line. No. Ever. Game over. Yeah. So the so line's going out, and then he steps into the line, and he gets pulled up to this railing, and it, his foot is about to snap, you know. He's just, like, screaming bloody murder. And so, as a deckhand on a boat... Rule number one, you always have a knife on you. We yeah. have these things called Victorian knocks. little Vickies. Sharp as shit. Super sharp. I've cut my hand many times on them. So, and always make sure your Vicky's sharp. Always sharpen at the end of every shift. Always have that thing razor sharp. For moments like these, huh? Moments like these. This guy is pinned up against the railing. His leg and foot's about to snap off. And his body's like his body wants to go over, but he's holding on to the railing behind him with his hands. So like he's for dear so, life. So he's becoming an anchor for that whole line. Pretty much, yeah. So the, the tension of the line is now oh, pressed, sure. pulling him, and then the the vessel is traveling at what you said seven seven, seven to eight, eight knots. knots. Yep. So this guy is becoming a middle point between the two. Pretty much, <laughs> you know. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So he's pinned. Um, I pull my, I, you know. I pull my knife out and I cut the line for him and released him and the marks on his legs, dude. It, he couldn't walk for like a week. I mean, he didn't break his leg, luckily, but he's lucky he didn't lose it. Man, that that was some crazy times right there. I was like, oh, I thought that guy was going over for sure. <laughs> well, uh, we're starting to reach the end of the time here, I believe. Um, Alrighty. But that was that was quite interesting. Even even I haven't spoke to you that in depth about the commercial fishing industry. Yeah, your I mean I got so many stories, man. We we'll talk some other time. Yeah, about your it. stories have stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, real quickly before we end it, you're, the diving now that you're doing, you're been able to do a lot of ship husbandry work. Yeah. You've been able to do a lot of construction based work as well. Yes. Making uh, you a lot of, uh, like, very vast in your abilities. And I, 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 coming from the commercial fishing industry, what would you say uh, the abilities that you acquired in commercial fishing, did any of them transition over into the I'd commercial say, diving? I'd say my number one quality as far as coming into diving was probably rigging and knots and knowing how to control line and stuff like that. Yeah, because... There's a lot of that in diving. I didn't think there was, but... I mean, there's a lot of divers that I worked with that didn't know some of the knots that I knew, you know? And mm-hmm. I was surprised. I was like, you guys are lifting this kind of stuff and doing these things, and all you do is a bowling? Like, that's not the only knot for rigging, you know? Yeah, but that's typically what most guys use because... Yeah, I mean, it's a all... great knot. 
it's yeah. it's great, dude. It's great, but there's a lot more that'll get the job done a lot quicker, and you have reliable knots. But yeah, but yeah. You know, I mean, to each his own. A, Everybody's got their own way. Yeah, and if there's more than one way to skin a cat, but if Absolutely. you have if you Absolutely. have a a larger uh, bag to pull from, it makes you a stronger employee and st- stronger diver all around. Yeah, I mean that I'd say that would probably be the one thing because I came from topside to underwater, so I couldn't bring much. As far as rigging, I mean, that was pretty much it that I brought to the water qualities. I mean, well, I'd say, I'd say, just from listening to you after everything, I'd say that a high sensory of dangers around you would would be another big yeah, thing that you definitely have brought to the table uh-huh. because working around a line that's traveling, you know, however fast it's going out the back of the boat with hooks on it, you have to be very mindful of where your hands are, where your where your feet are, where your you know. Just telling, hearing that story about that guy getting about about to lose his leg. Obviously, like you're yeah. very more keen on knowing where to place your your hands and your yeah, feet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the one thing I guess as far as safety with what divers should do is it's called umbilical management. I am not the best with umbilical management. I'll be honest. Surprisingly, when I get in the water, I don't give a fuck where that goes. Well, you and should. I should. I should, should. start caring about that. <laughs> yeah, very much. I was, on a whole I was on a whole clean last week, and I ran over my umbilical on a cart, you know, on flat bottom, and I I didn't panic or anything, but I was a little worried, you know. I was like, because we had these very aggressive wheels on it, you know. Yep. And I was like, oh, did I just poke a hole in my hose? I don't, I don't know if I did or not. <laughs> Well, you didn't because so, I dove right after you. <laughs> I didn't have any uh, yeah. any leaks in my air yeah. from what it felt like. Yeah, on that one. But, I mean, that's that's another thing. You know, umbilical management is a big key in diving. Yeah. You, you need to know that for sure. And, and I think I learned that. Like, I need to start keeping more of an eye on that because that's a very important part of diving because yeah. that's your lifeline. That's, yeah. that's, that's without that, you got nothing. You yeah, know? you got to look at the umbilical as just another limb. Uh-huh. It's just another limb on your body, and you ain't going to put your your dick anywhere that you wouldn't put your hand and that goes for the umbilical as well yeah i mean i've been wrapped around props before i'm sure you have to a lot of people have but shit happens with the umbilical but you always have to be consistently on top of knowing where that umbilical is at and then utilizing your tenders on the first surface to make sure that not only are you being aware of it but so are they because you know half the time you can't see the whole 600 foot or 300 foot of umbilical Absolutely. and if you're diving on a thousand foot ship you got to depend on those those tenders up top to make sure that they know where it is as well mm-hmm. so anyways this is going to conclude the episode number four look at that moving right along episode right. number four on commercial diving and fishing with our brand new co-host dylan harrell pleasure talking with you guys you're going to hear a lot more of him he's uh going to be here for a long time so we're going to be uh doing some shows in the future together and uh we look forward to it so thanks for tuning in and we will catch you on the flip side see you guys